You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz, and along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It's Thursday, October 13th here. And I can tell you, this is one area you can actually cut through the half-truths, the lies, the distractions, and it's not X-rated. We could spend uh, the next three weeks, um, you know, in a race to the bottom, discussing who's a bigger dirtbag and and just, you know, sully ourselves and get nowhere. Or we could actually discuss what's what's important. And this is what we've been going over the last couple of episodes here you know those of us who those of you follow our writings at conservative review um when you really understand what is going on in this country systemically this is so much greater than one presidential election even even with a good option um you know even if you would have had a guy like ted cruz or whoever pick your favorite house senate member it doesn't matter if we don't reclaim the problems that we have with our stolen sovereignty, our system of governance, completely, completely messed up at this point. Um, obviously, the biggest problem we've had, in my view, since I've put out my book, Stolen Sovereignty, is the judiciary becoming the sole and final arbiter of every political and social issue in our country to the point where they're now able to literally flip the Constitution on its head, flip fundamental rights on its head. Um, take natural law and redefine it. A man's no longer a man. A woman's no longer a woman. A marriage is no longer a marriage. And states now have to abide by that. And and no one cares. No one cares. We we pretty much write about one story a day of judicial tyranny. We got our piece up today. We'll put it on the show notes about a Florida federal judge mandating a constitutional right to implement weather extensions for voter registration. It never ends. In Alabama, there was one individual, and unfortunately, he's really one of the only ones around to speak of that said, no, there's a point where something is completely within the plenary control of a state. And the a federal you know, ele- elected government, certainly unelected branch, doesn't have the power to change that. Thirteen years ago, Judge Roy Moore, chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, stood up to a federal judge that said he must take down a replica of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was unconstitutional. Our heritage, our founding is unconstitutional. Well, 13 years later, he stood up and did what every state should have done and what our founders envisioned in in cases of judicial tyranny, that states would just say, um, sorry, but no thanks. Uh, uh, A marriage is defined by a state, and you just can't do that. Um, but Judge Moore refused to comply with that, and an unelected body – keep in mind he was elected and reelected to the Supreme Court there in Alabama. An unelected body has just suspended him. We, we told you last week we really wanted to catch up with him, and with no further ado, it's an honor to actually bring Judge Roy Moore live, the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. Hey, Judge Moore, how you doing here? Uh, doing fine. Good fine. Well, 
you know, thank God, I think many people in your uh, position would be pretty disgruntled. Before we get to your um, particular predicament, how they suspended you, what that means now, I just want to speak more broadly. In your view, you know, I'm, I'm sure you watch, obviously, what goes on, not just states like Alabama, but elsewhere. How did we get to the point where the unelected branch of the federal government that was to have neither force nor will, has no way of really enforcing their decisions, cannot legislate, could not only define every political issue, but literally redefine the most inviolable laws of nature, such as marriage, such as gender, you're seeing it now, religious liberty. And the states, even so-called conservative Republican states like Alabama, just just sit there and take it. What, what what went wrong in this process? Well, I think uh, that what went wrong in this process is the fact that people don't understand anymore what the Constitution was meant to do and what it is. And uh, they, they just let one branch of government uh, usurp the powers of other branches of government. And that was something that George Washington warned us about uh, in, in his farewell address. I think it's so important to understand our history because, you know, so many people think the, the Constitution is outdated, and it's, it's worn out, it's not useful anymore, and that's completely untrue. It was there to constrain human nature, and human nature never changes. It doesn't evolve, as some people might imagine. It's the same as it was then, as it is now, and the Constitution was there to restrain uh, the abuse of power. Um, George Washington spoke about this when he went out, was going out of office. He saw the problems about when one branch usurps the other branches. And particularly egregious is what's going on now with religious liberty. And you're right, uh, the Supreme Court is not God. They don't, uh, they're not infallible. In fact, uh, if you look at 1857 in the Dred Scott case, uh, back then, they, they called uh, black people property, and they said that was the constitutional, and that wasn't the constitution. That wasn't constitutional, and it took a civil war to overturn it. Uh, we're in about the same position now where they usurp the natural rights given by God. When you don't understand that our constitution is only part of our government, the other part are the principles laid out in the organic law of our country, which was and is the Declaration of Independence. A lot of people don't think the Declaration is a part of our law. But if you look at the United States Code today, and you look up in the very first part, it says organic laws of our country, and the Declaration is, is one of those laws, along with the Articles of Confederation, the Constitution, and the Northwest Ordinance. But if you understand why that's part of our law, you, you would understand that it's part of our law because we have to have some source of our rights, and our rights came from God. Now, that's not a, a religious statement. That's a statement directly out of uh, the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. The next sentence is so important because it gives us the purpose of our government. And just like a charter for an incorporation in any state, you have to have some charter to give you your name and your purpose. Well, the Declaration gave us our name, United States of America, 
And it also gave us our purpose, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, to understand our government, you have to understand where our rights come from and the role of government. And then you get to the powers to take care of that securing of our rights. And the powers of government are divided into three separate branches, executive, legislative, and judicial. And they have defined roles. And as you pointed out, when, when the courts take over the other branch and start making law, that's an egregious, uh, egregious uh, usurpation. And when they take a right given by God, that's not just a usurpation. That's a tyranny. Uh, usurpation was the taking of a right to which another hath a right to. In other words, if another branch has a right to it. But tyranny occurs when you take a right that no man and no branch of government have a right to. And that's what's happening in our country today. It's a tyranny when they impose upon you something to which you disagree in conscience and make you conform to it. That's taking your freedom of conscience and your right to religious liberty under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. And we, we're just uh, not aware of these things today. No, no and, and, of our government. and this is one of the things I sought to do in my book, Stolen Sovereignty. I have entire chapter on religious liberty in the Obergefell decision, chapter three. And one of the things that I mentioned was that our, not just the Constitution, but the preamble of the Declaration has been flipped on its head by the judiciary. So, um, you, you know, fundamental rights, natural law, have been ruled unconstitutional. And what's the antithesis of a fundamental right has been enshrined as a fundamental right. So, to juxtapose what you kind of you've done throughout your career, um, you know, they accuse us of violating the First Amendment's establishment clause by merely having a replica. No one's being coerced to do anything to violate what they want to do, um, but stuff that's been around since our founding, they say is unconstitutional. Yet, yet, when it comes to private property and conscience that Madison said is the most sacred of property rights, the, the, the government is now forcing individuals to service with their private property homosexual weddings or transgenderism and things like that. And somehow that is a fundamental right. So I have a fundamental right to force you to service my gay wedding with your property, but you don't have the right to display a symbol that doesn't coerce anyone to do anything. And it's been there since our founding. Um, and, and that's kind of you know coming full circle what what you've been dealing with from 2003 with the Ten Commandments fight, and now to to the to the marriage fight. Um, what what I don't understand is. Where you are in Alabama, you would think, you know, we're not talking about Massachusetts here. The culture is very different. Is there no floor to which the federal judiciary t could sink to where the people would just say, you know, the, the, the governor, the state legislature, every, the state officials together would do what our founders envisioned and just say, this is illegitimate. This is, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton said in the Federalist Papers that um, when Congress does something that is outside of its enumerated powers, it would be treated as a usurpation. That's it. And states wouldn't listen to it. How do we have an unelected branch? And I just want to kind of to segue into your situation. I want to set up for our listeners here. You are elected and reelected. You are um, removed by this ad hoc unelected kind of judi judicial oversight body in Alabama for not following the dictates of another unelected federal judge, Anthony Kennedy, who, by the way, is 80 years old 
and yet is not term limited and you're term limited at 70 years old. Um, how, how does that work? Well, they have different term limits and, uh, and that, that's something that according to the federal and for according to the state, but you're right about the freedom of conscience. You, you're right that, to say that there is no person who can take your freedom of conscience because of the first amendment, a Burgerfell represents the first case that I know of where they take a right or create a right. I'm sorry. Uh, instead of God given rights, they create a right. And then they take a right that was given by God. Freedom of conscience clearly was recognized by Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and many of our founding fathers as coming from God. Uh, in fact, the memorial, the uh, Thomas Jefferson's Bill for Religious Freedom begins, well aware that the opinions and beliefs of men depend not upon their own will, but follow voluntarily the evidence proposed by their minds that Almighty God hath created the mind free and manifested his supreme will that free it shall remain by making it altogether insusceptible of restraint. And he goes on to explain what that means. And what it means is that the First Amendment, which says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, that free exercise of religion was a right given to us by God, and not Congress could not regulate it. Well, if Congress can't regulate it, certainly a non-lawmaking branch like the Supreme Court can't regulate it. But instead, in Obergefell, they actually took it away. Now, Justice Kennedy, in his majority opinion, uh, wrote the his reasoning, which was lacked a lot of uh, good common sense, and he got to the end and he said, well, I'll hit the First Amendment. And he says, you're free to speak, teach, and advocate the, what you truly believe. But he failed to use the words free exercise of religion. And the reason that's important was caught by Chief Justice Roberts. He said he ominously failed to address free exercise of religion. And Justice Alito, and Justice Thomas, and Justice Scalia, uh, who is now no longer with us, all agreed that this was an egregious usurpation of a right. And what happens is, is what uh, Samuel Alito said in his dissent, he said, I assume that uh, you're, those who cling to their old beliefs will be free to speak of those beliefs in the recesses of their home. But if they repeat them in public, they will be labeled as bigots and treated as such by employers, governments, and schools. And basically, that's what's happened. All across our country, we're seeing a deprivation of a right given by God because the Supreme Court created a right and is mandating everybody conform to that and believe and, and, that. And, and Judge Moore, I'd add here that, as Clarence Thomas said in the dissent there, a, a right is is you, you have a right to protection from a negative governmental action. So, in other words, you're not fined or thrown into prison like what happened with, um, you know, the the baker in Oregon and many other cases where people with their private property, their businesses are being shut down. That is a fundamental right. You don't have a right to a positive, affirmative right to a positive benefit to a state sanction of, of a marriage. I mean, and that, and that's the thing here. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, Hey, well, well, you know, judge Moore has got to listen to the, to the law of the land. And, you know, aside from the fact that the supremacy clause referring to Congress, not really referring to the federal courts, but, but the point is, it's not like you guys in Alabama were trying to imprison someone or find someone 
um, and, and that run, ran amok a, a federal decision, they were forcing the state to take a state institution and create something new out of it and grant it to people. There is no such right. So why why is it that everyone in a state like Alabama fell in line? And and do you well, believe – yeah, sure. I think there is – that's a very good question because you're, you're asking why, for example, 22 states before Alabama – uh, and before Obergefell, uh, listen to a federal judge and take away their their constitutional right to sanctity of marriage, which they had in their constitutions. Uh, and why did they not stand up for their own rights? First, we, we don't understand the alignment of federal and state courts. We don't understand the supremacy clause, which you spoke about. The supremacy clause says th- things that people are not aware of in our society. Uh, in fact, during my trial, I heard one of the opposing counsels in argument stand up and say that uh, federal supremacy meant that federal court orders supersede state court orders. And that's what a lot of people think. They think the supremacy clause deals with federal courts over state courts. Federal courts are not over state courts. And when I say federal courts, I'm talking about all federal courts beneath the United States Supreme Court. Federal courts are called inferior federal courts because they're all inferior to the United States Supreme Court. And no inferior federal state federal court is over the state court with regard to interpretation of constitutional issues. And that's what most lawyers, most judges do not understand, despite the fact that it's recent United States Supreme Court precedent that tells us that. For example, Clarence Thomas in 1993 said in Lockhart versus Fretwell, he said, in our federal system, a state trial court's interpretation of a federal constitutional issue is just as authoritative as the federal court of appeals in whose circuit the state trial court is situated. Now, that means that in a state like Tennessee or Mississippi or anywhere, Florida, when a lower trial court interprets the federal constitutional issue, it does not matter that the federal court of appeals in whose circuit that is interprets it otherwise. Now, everybody's saying, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Federal courts have to be over state courts. They are not. There are parallel systems to the United States Supreme Court, and it is for that reason that, that uh, it can be appealed up to the state Supreme Court. And if that state Supreme Court makes a decision on a federal constitutional issue, the Federal Court of Appeals, in whose circuit that state trial court is situated, cannot change that, cannot overrule Absolutely. that. Now, listen, this is, this is not ancient, ancient uh, interpretations of law. This is as late as 2013. In 2013, in the United States Supreme Court, in a nine-to-nothing opinion, in Johnson versus Williams, the... Uh, United States Supreme Court held that the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals could not overrule the California Supreme Court. And that's what they said. They said that that was just the way it was. It, uh, and that's a nine-to-nothing opinion, and you, you don't get a lot of nine-to-nothing opinions out of the Supreme Court. But if I can find that case, I don't have it right here. Here it is, sure. Johnson versus Williams. And they, listen to the words. But the views of the Federal Court of Appeals do not bind the California Supreme Court 
when it decides a federal constitutional question. And disagreeing with the lower federal courts is not the same as ignoring federal law. As I said at the beginning, people do not understand what the Supremacy Clause is. The Supremacy Clause is called that because the United States Constitution, as it was agreed to by the states, is supreme over the constitutions of the states. And those, the United States Constitution is the supreme law of the land, not a court opinion. A court opinion doesn't become law. It's law of the case. But it doesn't become law as interpreted in the sixth article. Article six says this. This constitution and, and and just to give our listeners just a, a practical sense of what that means, it, you know, you know when Kim Davis was thrown in jail in uh, in Kentucky, um, they said she violated the law. Well, people don't understand is e- even if you agree with the premise that a court, that the Supreme Court is the sole and final arbiter of every constitutional issue, and that they're they stand on top of everything, um, at the end of the day, even under the liberal version. Mechanically, that doesn't mean that they rip a page out of the state statute and, or or replace it and write a new statute in there. There's there's you know they, they are just saying for the purposes of that plaintiff you can enforce that law, but there is no new law on the on the books. Is that is that what you said? There's no there's no new law. No, you know a court can only have authority over the cases before it and over the parties before it. It can't order other parties and other cases or other states. Uh, under a new law. Uh, that's what the Eighth Circuit said in 2015 in August. They they had cases pending before them when Obergefell was ruled, and they had to address the state applications to the court that didn't want to pay attorney's fees to the plaintiffs in those cases. They said uh, their cases are moot because the United States Supreme Court has ruled. Well, the United States Supreme Court ruled over the cases of Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. And so the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, now this is one of your higher uh, federal courts, but below below the Supreme Court, said uh, that Obergefell did not overrule the uh, constitutional cases in uh, South Dakota, Arkansas, and uh, Kentucky, I think it was. They said... They addressed Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee, not Kentucky. Is yeah, Kentucky's in the yeah. South Dakota, Arkansas, and Nebraska, I believe it was. But in any event, they said in those three cases, in those three states, Obergefell didn't overrule those those cases, uh, didn't overrule those states' constitutions. And the same thing applied in Kansas, which I believe is in the Tenth Circuit. A federal district court said, while Obergefell is controlling precedent, he he concluded. He said it did not overrule the Kansas constitutional provisions regarding sanctity of marriage. There's just a great misunderstanding about what the effect of a Supreme Court opinion is. And I'll tell you this now. A Supreme Court opinion is effective in all states as precedent if it's constitutional. Naturally, the United States Supreme Court cannot overturn the United States Constitution and replace it with a new provision. They can't amend exactly. the Constitution. And, 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 and I think, you know, I, I just want to just to mention, because I think one of the big problems that some of your opponents will mention is that, you know, like we said, oh, well, well, the Supreme Court rules, you know, states are bound by it, like you're saying. But 
there's a difference between sometimes there are things there is gray areas in the Constitution that were there, certain separation of powers issues um, in the weeds issues since the since our founding. But there are certain things that are manifestly out of bounds. You know, just the last couple months, and this is mainly in the lower courts, um, but it's the same principle. If they say there's a constitutional right to 20 days of early voting, there's a constitutional right um, for illegal immigrants to get birth certificates. There's a constitutional right um, for to, to force a pharmacy to sell all sorts of contraceptions. There's a constitutional right for a boy to use the female bathroom. I mean, th there are certain things that are just beyond I, I think for a number of generations, we've had this judicial activism at a federal level. People were reluctant to fight back, and they said, well, we'll just try to win elections and appoint better guys. But it's gotten to the point where I don't see how we survive as a republic if other people don't stand up like you did, especially you know in, in the southern states, you know states where the people are really for that. Um, so my question to you is, are you seeing – I know that you have this ignorance on a federal level, but what about in Alabama? What's the reaction you're seeing to this? Well, um, all across the states. I mean, quite frankly, there's a great misunderstanding of the Supremacy Clause, what it means, who your oath is to, uh, what takes precedent. And it, there's, there's so much misunderstanding that it doesn't matter sometimes who you appoint to the Supreme Court. Uh, <laughs> if they don't rule according to the law, it doesn't matter whether it's Democratic or Republic. Republican. Uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but Kennedy was appointed by a Republican. And it goes yep. to show that that uh, he doesn't understand that he can't, he's not up there as a super legislator or God. He is there as a justice on the Supreme Court to interpret the Constitution. And interestingly enough, in a Burgerfell, four justices, Kalia Thomas, Alito, and Roberts, completely said that he violated the Constitution. Uh, one of the statements I'd love to repeat is, is Justice, Chief Justice Roberts, who said, uh, if you're one of the many people who favor same-sex marriage, and you can celebrate today's opinion. Uh, celebrate your newfound freedoms and your new opportunities, but don't celebrate the Constitution because the Constitution had nothing to do with it. Now, that's the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, and I am free to uh, quote or paraphrase, the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. He said the Constitution had nothing to do with it, as did uh, Clarence Thomas, as did Samuel Alito. Uh, uh, they all said the same thing, that this wasn't constitutional. Now, I don't believe there's been another opinion now of the United States Supreme Court when four justices have completely said that whatever happened in the majority opinion was completely unconstitutional, but these four did. Now, one of them is deceased, Justice Scalia. But Justice Scalia said it was a judicial putsch, P-U-T-S-C-H. And that was the same thing, comparing it to Hitler's Germany. It was the seizing of a power of government. And if you go back to 1986, in Bowers versus Hardwick, you'll find out a statement in there with, which they said that, that uh, there must be great resistance to creating new rights. Otherwise, the court takes upon itself the authority to govern the country without express constitutional authority. And that's exactly what's happening now because the court is making law. Now, is it precedent in other states? It is precedent if 
the courts in those states interpret that as constitutional. And I simply say that when four justices on the Supreme Court said it's completely unconstitutional, there's room to differ. And there's room to uh, recognize that you've got to go by the Constitution if you depart from it. Uh, I think Justice Sutherland uh, is a justice in the Supreme Court many years ago in 1937 said something to the fact that the role of the judiciary is interpretation. That does not include uh, amendment, making an amendment to the Constitution. He said to confuse those roles is to confuse what the supreme law of the land really means. And I think that's basically what we're talking about on this program. And we're, we're saying that what is supreme in our case? Is it the Supreme Court? Because we call them the Supreme Court doesn't mean that it's supreme over the Constitution. Sure. It takes an oath to the Constitution. And Marbury versus Madison, John Marshall said, why else does do people take, do justices take an oath to the Constitution unless they regard it as a rule of law? And, and that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people have really bastardized uh, Justice Marshall's opinion to, you know, create judicial tyranny. And, and the reality is, Marshall, first of all, he said it's only in some cases they were going to use judicial review. But most importantly, it was only when the provision is manifestly against the plain meaning of the Constitution as it was adopted. So you would have to say, you know, that Alabama's marriage law to define marriage as a marriage, as a man and a woman, is manifestly against the Constitution as it was adopted. And you could be the biggest homosexual activist in the world, but you would have to admit that there is no that, that that's a political argument. It's not a legal argument um, because there's nothing there. But but again, you you made a good point that it, the the state supreme courts have the right to interpret and apply it, especially as present. Again, if the Supreme Court says you know this execution can't go through it, you know you can't jail this person. So you're not going to go and imprison the person. But when they say you have to create a new policy, uh, driver's licenses to illegal immigrants, uh, you know, um, you have to force individuals to service homosexual marriages and or, or you have to issue marriage licenses. So why aren't there more state judges standing up? I mean, the Supreme Court itself wasn't even vested with the power to overturn um, state uh, Supreme Court decisions. Um, you know, in in both directions until 1914, you know, both when it's against the federal right, for federal right, um, and then the lower courts, I mean, they're created by Congress, but you have that. You got some, you know, federal judges in Alabama, uh, one of them uh, redefined marriage. You've had some other bad decisions there. The notion that an institution created by Congress, um, the lower courts could just run rogue shot, because that's a big part of the problem we have now, um, the Supreme Court often doesn't grant cert or doesn't grant a stay on the lower court decisions, but a lot of the bad things are, are happening in the lower courts. I, is there no effort? Is there no one else in Alabama that sees the the arc of the trajectory? Like, you know, I, I know a lot of people in the, with the Ten Commandments fight. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say no to the courts, but 13 years later, when we've seen the worst nightmare of, you know what Ed Meese and, and, and Robert Bork warned about. Robert Bork always called it a um, civil disobedience. The courts are engaging in their own form of civil disobedience, um, yet we're accused of doing it. What do you think is the wave of the future? And, and, and how do you think we stop this? Because it's only getting worse. 
Well, I agree with that, and I, I think that education, you know, we've printed a little pamphlet I did uh, in the Supreme Court, and we uh, passed them out about the Constitution and the forerunners to the Constitution and Declaration, Blackstone's commentaries, and then George Washington's interpretation of where our country would go if we failed to recognize uh, these principles uh, the pre- toward the preservation of your government and the permanency of your present happy state. It is requisite not only that you steadily discountenance irregular oppositions to its acknowledged authority, but also that you resist with care the spirit of innovation upon its principles, however spacious the pretext. Now, that was George Washington's warning to regard the Constitution and its declaration and, and the principles upon which it was laid. Otherwise, even if it's a spacious pretext, I mean an attractive uh, uh, uh disobedience, something that, that seems good for the moment, you're realizing if, you, if you're going to retain your government, the preservation of your government and the permanency of your present happy state, you better steadily discountenance or distance yourself from these things, uh, irregular oppositions to its acknowledged authority. Now, you just think of that phrase there, irregular oppositions to its acknowledged authority. Nothing could fit better then the Supreme Court, which is supposed to uphold the Constitution, as is every court, it's an irregular opposition to its, the Constitution's, acknowledged authority. And when we start saying that the Supreme Court is over the Constitution, then we've misinterpreted uh, what Washington, what Jefferson, Madison, Adams, what they stood for. Well, well, it's, it's worse. It's now, now a district court is over the Constitution. Well, that's true. I mean, we're we're putting we're putting federal district courts, and then we're putting them over state courts. Now, I think that's that's where I've had the most effect of explaining. And I'm not explaining something. That, please understand, I'm not adverse to federal courts. They're there. They're under the Constitution. I'm adverse to federal courts when they usurp the Constitution or when they don't rule in accordance with the law. That's what I did in Alabama when we stopped a Southern District Court from assuming to tell all the probate judges of Alabama to issue same-sex marriage licenses. I pointed out in that case, which was before Obergefell, that she didn't have authority under the Federal Rule 65. And she, she had no probate judge or any party that was related or over the probate judges. And so she simply recognized that the very next day when she refused to hold one of them in contempt and said I, she had no authority over them. They she had no authority. Case. And by the way, and that so, was a Republican appointee. Um, yes, I know. And, uh, <laughs> so people know, we yes. Just, we have, but but that had happened in, in states all across the Union that a federal court had come in and said, we're taking this over, and we're going to strike down your marriage laws. Now, interestingly enough, in 2013, the United States Supreme Court in U.S. versus Windsor, uh, the, the defense uh, of marriage uh, case, yes, uh, took down DOMA, uh, the Defense of Marriage Act passed by Congress, on the basis that Congress, as a federal entity, <laughs> had no authority over the state's <laughs> marriage and divorce laws. Well, then the United States Supreme Court, two years later, same author, had authority. The same author took that authority and then said, but we can because we're going to find a new right. Well, all these rights, uh, I think Washington said in his farewell address, the precedent of one, one branch.
branch usurping the powers of another. The president must always greatly overbalance in permanent evil any partial or transient benefit which the use could at any time yield. Now, that sounds foreign language to us today, but what he's saying is the, the actions of one branch of government taking over the powers of another branch may seem good for a moment. It may ha- appear to be good and, and just and fair, but if it's not their power, it will result in a permanent evil, i.e., in the future, they'll take another power and another power, and that's what's happening. We've got to go back to recognition, as Washington stated, that a just estimate of that love of power and the proneness to abuse it, which predominates in human heart, is sufficient to satisfy us of the truth of this position. In other words, we keep the powers separate. It's called separation of powers and checks and balances. And the reason we're having such problems is because when your Congress doesn't understand these things, when they don't appreciate the Constitution, when the uh, lawyers that are running for the justices' jobs are being uh, appointed to those jobs, when they don't understand the Constitution, then you've got a whole system that's uh, it's just political in nature. It's, not, it's agenda-oriented. You know, they, the Congress will ask these uh, uh, candidates for public office, the, the, the justices that are appointed, the appointees. They'll ask them questions about oh. how do they feel about this and how they feel about that. <laughs> But you're it, talking about the Senate order. Judiciary Committee. The Senate Judiciary Committee has their surveys, and all the even even Obama's appointees. Oh, oh no, it's their job is to interpret the. They all sound like us. They sound like you. They all sound yeah. They all they will all sound good, but when they get down to practice, it's well we can create rights. Now this this right same sex marriage is one that uh, defies nearly every state in the union that had laws against same sex marriage or had laws marriage between a man and a woman. And as one of the justices said, I think it was Chief Justice Roberts, it might have been one of the other dissenters, what stops them from saying now two men can get married to three men? Where is the line? It's it's all public opinion. It's they codify public opinion into into the Constitution. And, And ironically, that's why they weren't supposed to be elected. I mean, that, that and and you know, I, I I'm not sure if you saw this. One of the um these big homosexual activist law uh, groups, they put out an interesting study, and they were lamenting this, but it was a, a point that um they were complaining that state judges haven't been as sympathetic to creating homosexual transgender super rights. And they were complaining about it. They said, man, these people, they care about the electorate. But I was thinking, that's the point. If you're going to venture off into creating law, then yeah, it's better it be done on a state level where most states have some form of elections. The job of the federal government, they're supposed to be unelected, the federal judges, precisely because they weren't going to make the law. They were going to interpret it even when it's an unpopular application of it. But nonetheless, you know, I always think of the example. I'm curious what you think about this. To me, everyone asks, well, Daniel, you hate the courts, the federal courts. You think they shouldn't exist. No, they have a very important role. King v. Burwell. The second major Obamacare case was the quintessential example, right? Because there, it, it wasn't even a question of constitutionality. It wasn't. It was a question of what did the statute say? And the IRS was giving out subsidies to states where they did not create the exchange. Only the feds did. The states didn't do it. You could like it. You could hate it. You could love the program. You could love socialized medicine. You could hate it. It doesn't matter. That was the statute. Now the effect would have been 
to really pull the rug out from the law. But but that is exactly what they were supposed to do, even though it would be kind of disruptive, the, d- the decision. But that that's what they're there to do. And yet, of course, they didn't do it. <laughs> the one job they had. Yeah. Well, there's we've got a major problem uh, with an understanding. And, you know, it's our problem. I'm, I'm a chief justice. Uh, you know, I regard my position and appreciate it. But, you know, we're not above the law and we're not there to make the law. We're there to interpret the law. And when we forget our roles and we become uh, legislators just because we think it would be better for society, we're doing a great um, disservice to the people. And that's but we, but, you know, people have put judges as, as their their gods. And uh, whatever the judge says, it doesn't matter if it contradicts Congress, if it contradicts the Constitution, if it contradicts everything. It's still got to be, somebody's got to make the final answer, they say. Well, the final answer is written in stone in the United States Constitution. It cannot be changed, but by certain processes under Article uh, 5, I think it is. Uh, sure. That's how it's changed, and a, and, a, and a court can't change the Constitution. No matter how bad they feel it should be changed. Yeah, Judge, Judge Moore here, um, we're, we're kind of running out of time. Um, for our listeners, we're we're here with the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. I, I do want to, at some point, have you back to discuss more the issues, um, you know, with that you're being confronted with personally and how that happened and everything. If you could just give a brief overview of where things stand with your case now, um, what's your status, and what you know, what what could people do? I'm why you going to appeal from the Court of the Judiciary, which is not a court. Uh, as we know it. It's a uh, Half the people are not judges. Uh, there's there's civilians on there, that, but they they oversee the Judicial Inquiry Commission, and they were so politically oriented that when they couldn't reach the end result that they wanted, because the law provides that they can't remove a judge except by unanimous vote, they said, admittedly, they didn't have unanimous vote. They couldn't get everybody to go along, but... So that since they couldn't remove me, they would suspend me for two and a half years without pay and without insurance and not call that a, a removal. They call it a suspension. So it goes all the way through my term and I have no office. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's a de facto removal. They're going to be reversed on that, in my opinion. And if they're not, there's going to be a dis- great disservice done to the rest of the judges in the state of Alabama. And that's... Uh, just how people ignore the quote-unquote rule of law, and they call a rule of law a court decision when the rule of law is the statutory or constitutional provision that you're interpreting. But um, right now I'm on appeal, and we're, we're trying to bring these matters to the attention of the public. Uh, they should reverse the whole case, but if they're politically inclined not to do so, uh, they won't do that. But uh, if if they go by the law, the, now uh, when you talk about appeal, legal. when you talk about appeal here, isn't that the very body you sit on, the Alabama Supreme Court? Well, it is, but they're going. Uh, we have asked several of those to recuse because they're disqualification for prior rulings, and so you know that's still up to question about who's going to be the Supreme Court. 
Wow. You know, I, I could talk to you forever. There is so much here. I got to send you a copy of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. I just love love for you to read it. Um, thanks so much for joining us today on The Conservative Conscience. We really would love to have you back if you have a chance. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks so much. God bless. Thanks for everything you do. Appreciate what you do. Bye-bye. All righty. There you have it, folks. That was Judge Roy Moore, Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. Um, here we are. We have gone way overboard. Guys, I got to say this. Support our sponsors. Instead of supporting nonsense, instead of supporting other people's uh, um, you know, media outlets that now uh, do nothing but decide between the lesser of two evils of, of moral turpitude, we could actually support someone with, or we could support ideas that we could cleanly get behind. And fighting judicial tyranny is one of them. It's my passion. I promise you I'm going to keep on this. We're going to have Judge Moore back. Thanks for listening and indulging us. Support our sponsors. Again, preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply. Only 99 bucks for 140 meals. Until next time, this has been another episode of the Conservative Times.